Thanks so much, Jamal. Um, yeah, so we're going to have a, a bit of time just looking at that through the message now. And um, this is a series we're still tracking through called The Servant. And um, yeah, if you've been with us the last few weeks, um, yeah, we've been talking about how Jesus has been trying to get away from the crowds and uh, get away from the religious leaders and get away from the controversy, but it sort of keeps following him. And he went up north to this other nation's non-Jewish area, and a, and a woman kind of persisted with him for healing, and then he went to another sort of gentle area on the, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and all these crowds have come for healing, and he's, he's fed them. And it, it's kind of like he's been trying to get away um, from the Jewish areas for a while because of the controversy. It's like getting away on a holiday, although his holiday's already been interrupted a lot. Um, but now it's like coming back to reality. He comes back to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the, the Jewish area, and like first getting off the boat straight away, religious leaders are there ready to interrogate Jesus. It's like, I don't know if you go away on a holiday and then come back to work and then it's just like, bam, like straight, like you hit the reality, like you just have to get going straight away. And it's almost like that. As soon as Jesus is back here, um, it says Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking them to show a sign from heaven. Um, and it's interesting because, yeah, we've kind of been seeing this has been happening a bit in Matthew's gospel, the, particularly with the Pharisees and the scribes. But it's interesting now that there's also this other group called the Sadducees because uh, they're quite different in, in first century. There's the Pharisees who are kind of like the real Bible um, conservatives, a bit perfectionistic, very religious, very spiritual, really want people to be pure. And the Sadducees are almost the opposite. They're kind of like the elites, we could even say the progressives, they're quite secular, they're quite rich, they kind of actually benefit from Rome, uh, so they're almost like the exact opposite, and often they would have fights and they would debate, because even the, the Sadducees don't even believe really much in afterlife or angels, they're not very spiritual, they're, they're quite focused on the earth, whereas the Pharisees are almost the opposite, and they would have fights and debate, but here, they're actually united in opposition to Jesus, they're actually ganged up to come and focus on Jesus, uh, their common enemy. Um, and it's so interesting what they say is that they want Jesus to do a sign. And it's like, haven't you been looking at all of the miracles and, and thousands of things that Jesus has been doing? But it's that it seems like what they're saying is that they want Jesus to not do something that could be explained some other way. And, and they've already said to Jesus that he's doing his, power, his, his miracles by the power of Satan, and they're sort of saying, well, God's enemies, he, they, he could be using other spiritual powers to heal, but only God could do something in the heavens, in the sky. So they sort of had this test. If, if you're really from God, you have to do something spectacular in the sky, and then that will show that you really are from God. But there's a hint in this, in this verse, because it says they came to test him asking for this. Uh, that word is also to tempt him, even. Uh, which is interesting because it's similar to Jesus' temptations in the wilderness when Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, just prove it. Turn these stones into bread, cast yourself off the temple, the angels will rescue you, everyone will see. It's kind of a similar temptation. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Do a big thing in the sky and then we'll all see. But actually, they don't, they don't believe he can do that. If anything, maybe they just want him to attempt it and fail and then the crowds will realize, actually, he's not legit and maybe they'll they'll leave. They're, they're opposed to Jesus. So they, they come to him, and he responds to them like this. He says, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red, 
And in the morning today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. It's interesting. Jesus is almost like, well, if you want to talk about the sky, let's talk about the sky. Like, you look at the sky, and you can read it, and you read the weather, and you sort of can look at the sky, and you can see what's going on. But you're not looking at me and actually seeing all the things that I'm doing. And, and, and therefore, Jesus says the issue is not... And it's, we've, I already preached a message on this a while, because this has already come up once in, in Matthew, this request for a sign. And it seems like this request for this kind of sign, that's like a big, undeniable sign from, from God, that, that desire and request is a sign of actually something wrong with the heart. And Jesus says that they have something wrong with their heart. They're wicked and adulterous. They're not faithful to God. And he says that the only sign that they will have is the sign of Jonah. And again, it's the second time in Matthew he's said this. And, and really, I think what he's, he's saying is that similarly, that Jonah was a sign to Nineveh in, in the book of Jonah. He, he came, he preached repentance. His life was an example of God's deliverance from the, the big fish. And, and Jonah was the message. He was the messenger and the message. And Jesus is the sign. Jesus' life, his teaching, his miracles, his um, call to repentance, then ultimately his death and resurrection is the sign. But they're actually not looking at him. They want him to do something bigger in the sky, but because they're not looking at him as actually the sign, they actually are missing him. In many ways, they're coming to Jesus saying to, to prove himself according to their standard and understanding and system. And part of the reason why they're being increasingly opposed to Jesus is because he's not fitting into their understanding and system of how God works and how the Messiah works. And they're unwilling to be open and, and compromise. And actually, there's a principle here that those who want Jesus to fit into their own system and assumptions actually can't see him clearly. They can't see him. They can't see the signs all around them because they're actually not looking at him because they're looking at him through their own lens, their own worldview, their own assumptions, and they're not willing to take off their glasses and actually just look at Jesus or even look through Jesus. J Jesus is actually, called, is actually the center point. Jesus himself is almost like a lens and a way to view the world. He's at the center, and actually we're not called to approach him through some other lens, but actually say, actually, he's the center, and everything is defined by him. He has to be first. Uh, and if, if Jesus doesn't fit um, into our systems of thinking, it's because he's not at the center of them. Uh, he doesn't actually want to be accommodated into another worldview, accommodated into the expectations of the crowds and the people. He won't. He challenges them, and he calls them to conform to him. He's not going to conform to them. Um, and I think it's so helpful because... Um, yeah, we all have uh, a set of glasses that we wear all the time. We all have a worldview and, and a way of interpreting the world that's a, m a mishmash of all different things in our lives. And then we can kind of have bigger categories for different worldviews as well. And obviously different religions have different worldviews. Um, but Jesus is to be the center of that. He's not to be viewed through a worldview. He is to be the way that we define everything. He must be at the first place. New, uh, Leslie Newbegin puts it this way. Um, just go back on the affirmation that the one by whom and through whom and for whom 
all creation exists is to be identified with a man who was crucified and rose bodily from the dead. So this idea that if Jesus is who he is, he's the creator God, he's the king of heaven, who's come to earth, who died and who rose again. To affirm that, that cannot possibly be accommodated within any plausibility structure or worldview except one of which it is the cornerstone. In any other place in the structure, it can only be a stone of stumbling. It's a bit wordy, but effectively saying, if Jesus is who he is, he has to be the absolute foundation of everything. We can't approach Jesus from some other standing point. He is the standing point, or through some other lens, he is the lens. He is the center. And if, um, as we see with these religious leaders, if you're unwilling to do that, he becomes a stumbling block. He doesn't fit into their system, and he's disrupting it, so they are increasingly opposed to him, and they can't see him because they're not willing to let him be the absolute center. So Jesus leaves them. Uh, They are absolutely closed to him. They're not open. They're not genuine in their question. They're not genuine in their heart. So again, he gets away. He gets back in the boat, back on the lake to get away. Um, So then we get to the lake. It says, when they got across the lake, imagine, they just had this huge interaction, religious leaders ganging up on Jesus. It's full-on intense. But it says, the disciples forgot to take bread. Jesus said to them, be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, Jesus is like, worked up about this. He's giving them a warning about what's going on. Maybe he's a bit angry. And the disciples will say, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Like, why is Jesus so angry at us? Oh, it's because we forgot the bread. <laughs> and they're so obsessed with their, their need. And like, there's it, some legitimacy to this, right? Like, they're getting on a boat. They're, they're escaping the Pharisees. They're, they don't know where they're going, and they don't have any food. Like, we'd probably be concerned about that as well. Um, but, but they did just see Jesus provide for thousands of people, <laughs> like just the page before. Uh, but they're, they're, they're concerned about this. And because of that, they can't hear him. They actually haven't heard what he said, because all they can think about is bread. There's another principle here that those who are worried about their immediate needs actually can't hear Jesus clearly. Jesus is giving them uh, quite serious warning. It's something he's quite, he's quite serious about. And they think that he's upset with them about the bread. And they keep talking about the bread. They think he's talking about the bread. But they actually just can't hear that. He's obviously talking metaphorically. And they, they just can't hear it. Um, and I, although it like, can seem innocent, it, it's quite serious in this case. Because they're missing what he's saying. Um, maybe legitimate worrying about food, but then they can't. They can't hear him. I think there's something for us in that as well, because obviously worry is something that I think probably all of us struggle with. It's incredibly difficult thing to not worry and be anxious. But but sometimes perhaps we just think of it as something that's uncomfortable. It's like, well, it's just not fun worrying. I just want to get over it. and It's not fun being anxious. I just want to deal with it, which which is good. But it's almost like another level to say, well, actually, it's also something that blocks us hearing from God. It's, it's quite serious in that. If, if our mind is filled with how are we going to have our immediate needs met, we're actually not maybe open to hearing what he's saying and speaking into us. Jesus has given warnings about this already in the Sermon on the Mount and, and spoken strongly about how you can't serve God and money particularly, that money is something that people can so easily worry about and then get obsessed with and actually then miss 
God. Or Jesus says, don't worry about your food and your clothes, but seek the kingdom first and he'll provide them. And it's, it's almost an example of like, if people are overly concerned about how their needs will be met, there's not going to be time for the kingdom. It's, it's, there's never going to be a kingdom focus if it's an afterthought. Jesus said, if it must be the first thing, then trust that he will provide. So the, Jesus, the disciples are hearing Jesus, but because they're so worried, they're reinterpreting everything he says right around their immediate need. They actually can't hear clearly. And uh, obviously, worry and, and anxiety are, are huge problems and complex and have multiple aspects and biological aspects as well. But I think there's just a challenge here that, that sometimes being, being overly worried actually blocks us from hearing God and needs to be addressed. And, and I think that's why God often says to bring our worries to Him, like cast our care before Him, tell Him about it. It's still a need. And the disciples could have done that, right? They could have said to Jesus, hey, can you make some more of that bread that you just made? Like, like but they've been said they're worried. They, they forgot it. What are they, they going to do? They didn't bring it to Him. So Jesus responds to them, and in a pretty intense way. Um, so I'm going to read this out, and... This is kind of how I think maybe he was speaking, um, kind of like as a teacher when, when you're in a class, and like maybe you're actually okay, but your class is just like not getting it, and they're just like, they're not behaving, things are not good, and then they just, they just need a lecture, like, like they just need to be sat down, and they need a slap across the face, and I think, I think that's what, not physically, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, with words, <laughs> yeah, and and, and I think that's what Jesus is doing in some ways. I think maybe he's a bit frustrated, but I think he's really just giving them a lecture. It says, aware of their discussion. They're saying, Jesus is talking to us about bread or something. He, he says, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000 how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand? I was not talking to you about bread. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's kind of how I picture him, him saying this. And, and like, it's not that he's out of control or anything, but that he just, they just need a lecture. They need a slap across the face. And, and he calls them people of little faith. He says, right, like, don't you understand? Don't, don't, you, don't you remember? Like, the maths, five loaves fed 5,000, seven loaves fed 4,000, like, like, Having enough is not a problem when you're with Jesus, yet they've just experienced this and they're still afraid. So Jesus kind of gives them a slap across the face in love to, to, to wake them up and to shake them and to help them see that's not the issue. Having bread is not the issue. And he's warning them about a greater issue, uh, apart, particularly about their faith. Um, so in many ways, this principle for us is that we need to quit worrying because Jesus will provide, we need to trust and listen to him. And again, like I said, it's, it's, it's not that simple. Um, there's a lot to that. But uh, sometimes I really actually appreciate um, someone doing that to me, just, just telling me, like, just sort of needing to wake me up and just give me a slap across the face. And, and obviously God um, does discipline people and, and challenge people. And I think that can be in love as well. And I think there's an opportunity for us today even to maybe hear Jesus speak to us in a, in a similar way, and to me. Like, all of this is, is preaching to me as well. And, um, but, but I've just been imagining Jesus speaking like this to me this week. And I've, I've actually found it really helpful. Um, so I, I just wonder if you can imagine 
Jesus saying to you, when you're worried, you have little faith. Like, why are you worried about money? Like, just imagine Jesus, like, like shaking you. Why are you worried about your clothes? Why are you worried about your food? Well, like, you've got food and clothes. Why are you worried about your holidays? Like, really? Like, like why are you worried? Don't you understand? Don't you know who I am? Don't you read the Bible? Like, don't you know all the stories of how I've provided again and again? Don't you remember how I've provided in your life again and again? Don't you remember that I'm just with you all the time? How many times I've come through for you? How is it you don't understand? I'm the Lord. I have everything. I've given myself for you. I've given my life for you. I'll give you all things. Why are you still worried? Like, like I've just been imagining him speaking to me about that. I mean, I worry about time all the time, not having enough time. He's like, why are you worried about time? Like, I'm the Lord of time. I can make everything happen in a moment. Why, why are you so worried? Why are you rushing and, and busy and then you can't hear me? Don't you understand I have all that you need? And I think it's, it's helpful to kind of just be sucked across the face and just snapped out of our, our focus on the immediate and just forget who God is and who Jesus is. Um, Dale Brunner says this, It is the constant temptation of disciples to look at what we have as if that is of final importance and not at whom we have. Our insufficiency is not the problem. That is a given of both the human and the Christian condition. The problem is unbelief in the sufficiency of Jesus. It's so easy to just focus on what we don't have. <laughs> Think, this is all we've got. This is, all, this is how I'm feeling. This is the situation. And, and to be stuck there. Whereas the issue is not that. The issue is, have we forgotten who he is? We don't understand. He just did it last week, and we're already freaking out again. Like, like we just need to trust him. The issue is not our stuff, but our faith. We need to stop looking at our lack, and we need to look at Jesus and his sufficiency. Because those who are worried about their immediate needs can't hear Jesus clearly. Therefore, we must quit worrying, because Jesus will provide, and we have to trust and listen to him. So Jesus slaps them across the face. He gives them a lecture, or he's like the coach that's like digging into the team at halftime and just trying to get them focused so they can hear. And then they hear him. It says then, then they understood he was not telling them to guard against the use used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Finally, they get it. He's saying, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is this message that Jesus wants them to get. It's not about bread. It's about teaching. And it's this metaphor of yeast um, which is most of the time a negative metaphor in, in the Bible. And it's a metaphor of something that spreads and kind of can have secret influence and permeate, or you could even say, I mean, obviously bread is not infectious, but it's that similar sort of metaphor of infecting and, and, and spreading and taking over something. So in, in the Old Testament, Passover, they get rid of the yeast. It's like symbolic of getting rid of sin and how sin can spread and, and influence and take over. And Jesus is saying, Beware of the evil, secret influence and spread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They need to be aware of it, that it, it could affect them, it could spread. So he's telling them to be aware and to watch out. And I think in light of like, particularly the fact that the Pharisees and Sadducees disagree on most stuff, yet Jesus says, beware of their teaching. It's like, which teaching? Uh, and he, obviously it's both. I think the real issue here, and I think there's probably different ways to interpret it, but... 
but is that like the Pharisees and Sadducees have come to Jesus and said, hey, do a sign from heaven. Like they've come with their worldview and their perspective and their system of thinking and say, Jesus, you need to conform to us and if you don't fit, we're, not, we're, we're opposed to you. Jesus is saying, be aware of starting to think like that. He says, be careful of being influenced by any system or worldview that doesn't have Jesus at the center. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees like, are incredibly influential. Like, people looked to them, and people were scared of them. And more and more, like, people will start to follow them. And we know the story. Eventually, that yeast will spread throughout all of Israel, and Jesus will end up on the cross. So Jesus is, is saying, be aware that they have influence. Um, and their worldview and their position is actually not open to Jesus. So don't think like them. Jesus is a stumbling stone to them. He's not the cornerstone. So Jesus is really warning the disciples not to be affected by their kind of ideology, their focus, their influence that shifts him from the center and starts to almost critique and look at Jesus through some other lens rather than letting Jesus define everything and be at the center. And it's interesting because it's, it's, cause it's both groups, right? Like the Pharisees in many ways represent the, the extreme conservatives, the the, the um, Sadducees, in many ways, the scre- extreme progressives, both super influential, and Jesus says, beware of both of them. Both of them actually are opposed to him. So I think there's actually a warning for us in this, um, because there are many different systems of thought around in our world, and there's many different voices, and they're influential. Um, there are many different ideologies and worldviews and ways of viewing the world on both the right and the left. And we need to be on guard because they do affect us. And we need to be on guard of not trying to fit Jesus into a system or put a system above Jesus, but let him question both. Let him be at the center. Because some human systems, will like they like Jesus. They say, yeah, Jesus is great. But Jesus is not the center of their thinking. If it's like, yeah, Jesus is great, but we don't really agree with him on this thing and this thing, or we kind of reinterpret, that's looking at Jesus through a lens. Whereas actually Jesus needs to be the lens who critiques all other positions. And if he's not the center, he becomes a stumbling block. Again, Dale Bruner on this um, sort of application from this passage, he says, Jesus thus calls all later disciples to discern in their own times the perfectionistic, the Pharisees, super conservative, and secularist, supermodern, we could say progressive theologies of their age, and to free themselves as much as possible from both of them. This leaves disciples with the teaching of Jesus alone. Jesus' disciples are loosed from bondage to the reigning theological movements of their time to be free Christocentrics. So to be people who are loyal to Jesus, not loyal to another system, another political system, another ideology, another way of complex theory of how the world works. That's not to be the focus. Jesus is to be the focus. And he's warning because yeast, yeast spreads secretly. It spreads and influences. And obviously we live in a culture, they, they lived around the Pharisees and they were being influenced. So Jesus says, be aware. I think as well in our kind of world at the moment, um, which is again becoming increasingly complex and it's becoming increasingly disrupted, there's a temptation to find security in a simplistic understanding of the world that's a system, a human system, 
of understanding the world, that things can be explained in a way that makes sense. And there's a sense of security in that. And it's often on the extreme. But it actually doesn't have Jesus at the center. It's actually a warning to not do that, not be pushed to an extreme, not be pushed to a worldview that doesn't have Jesus at the center. Instead, find comfort and security in Him, in His presence, in His teaching, in His understanding of the world, in the fact that He's not surprised about anything that's happening in the world. He knows. He sees. He cares. We trust Him. Don't take comfort in our own opinions and theories, but in Himself. Jesus is the answer. He's our Lord. He's our safety and our comfort. Because the danger is that those who want to fit Jesus into their own system and assumptions actually can't see him clearly. If we're being influenced to sort of start to view Jesus through another system, we won't see him clearly. Therefore, we must be careful of being influenced by any system or worldview that doesn't have Jesus at the center. So as we respond today, I've just got a couple of questions to, for you to reflect on today or, or during the week. Um, just on those two points, in many ways, this sort of passage is, is sort of two warnings about how we could miss Jesus. So to reflect more personally, well, what does that look like for me? So the first one is, how could I be or be being influenced away from Jesus by either the Pharisee-like super conservative or the Sadducee-like super liberal ideologies of our day? Um, just think for you personally, like actually, which side are you more at risk of falling to? often just because of our personalities, or which other theory of the world are are you attracted to or at risk of being influenced by that doesn't have Jesus at the center? Because there's a need to be aware of that. It doesn't doesn't mean like don't engage with the world. That's not what I'm saying. It just means be aware and, and, and recognize that we operate from a totally different system with Jesus at the center. So think maybe for personally, where maybe are you at risk and need to be aware? A second question, is there a worry or a concern that is overtaking my mind and blocking me from hearing God at the moment. And there's an opportunity to bring that to God, cast it before Him in prayer, and listen to His voice. Whether He wants to speak about that, or whether He wants to speak about something totally different, just to, just to leave it with Him, and to listen to Him. So I'm going I'm to pray, and um, yeah, then we're going to sing. And, and I, as well, if, if you would like prayer today, or, or would like someone to pray with about any of that, I'll be up the front today. After the service, feel free to come forward as well. Um, the prayer room's over there as well, if you, if you want to just spend some time in, in prayer and, and reflection as well. Um, so maybe you could stand with me, um, and then let's respond in prayer. Lord, I'm just so grateful that, that you love us um, yeah, holistically, and you're jealous for us, Jesus, and yeah, in love, you um, yeah, do discipline us and, and do shake us and do call us to wake up and, and yeah, snap out of the, the ways of thinking and the, yeah, just the, the ways that we get stuck. And just thank you, Jesus, that you are the sign, that you've revealed the Father to us, that you're alive from the dead. Um, and we just say we want to be loyal to you. We want to be aware of anything that draws us away from you. We want you to protect us and guide us and give us grace to trust you and hear you. And we confess that we don't. We, we worry so easily. We get influenced so easily. And we just need your mercy and your grace to have you at the center of our lives and hearts. And, and yeah, as we prayed before, God, would you keep us from the left and the right? Keep us focused on you, Jesus, at the center.
just pray this in your name.